Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to what is a rather unique episode of Tafcast, where we peel back the layers of the onion that is United Task Force. I'm joined, as always, by fellow staff member James, and we're pleased to be joined by several members from the group. So welcome, everybody. Now, if you listen to the last Tafcast, it was mentioned that United Task Force is approaching its second birthday. So rather than going into too much detail uh, on the last month, we're going to sort of dedicate a bit of time to look in at the early days of United Task Force and how we've come from there to, to here. Uh, we'll also be looking at uh, the uh, in-the-work stuff, as we usually do, things that you can expect to see in the near future. And finally, we're going to be having a just a sort of general chat about uh, leadership, uh, that is field leadership, uh, and how it works in UNICEF, and, and how as a, as a regular member, especially if you're um, not uh, an NCO, how, how you might get started and, and uh, uh, get on that ladder to, to becoming an NCO and a field leader. Uh, however, it has been a, another busy month. We've uh, beat, beaten all of our records for attendance, uh, for strength and uh, number of total deployments uh, compared to last month. So uh, it's onwards and, and upwards um, as, as always. Uh, James, I'm going to hand over the in the work segment to you. So if you could tell us what we can expect over the next, you know, several weeks or, or months, um, that'd be great. Yeah, so obviously we'll do our usual syrup for this month, which is somewhat delayed, uh, mainly because we did a minor syrup um, at the end of last month. Um, I suppose the biggest difference um, that we talked about in our meeting yesterday was that you know, mostly around the world, or I know this is not the case everywhere around the world, but things are starting to turn to a bit of normality. So, obviously, with the um, the scope of what we do at Unitaf, obviously that changes things because we have less um, capacity, I guess, to do things. And what we don't know the answer to yet, because we've got really used to having um, people that you know can prioritize UNITAF a lot. We don't know what effect it's going to have on activity and on the total force and things like that. What we do know is we've got about 30 applications pending and you know so if people do need to take a break we, we've you know got got people available to to bring on to, to plug that gap. So the, f the first real update in the syrup is just about the recruitment strategy and what our current approach is to it and how we're trying to make it sit and I don't want to go into it in too much detail but essentially you'll notice that we're not recruiting at the moment or say when we're not recruiting we're not doing like instantaneous inductions like if someone puts an application in we're not inducting them straight away we're, we're essentially putting a date to th three weeks in the future with a number of slots on it and we're um, assigning people to it so if you've looked on the op center you'll see that we've got an intake of around 10 people on Saturday this week and that's probably going to be indicative of how UNITAF will induct people going forward like we'll batch induct people into UNITAF so there'll be like a batch of new people who join train together and it gives enough time for for those of you that are a little bit newer to actually become like feel like you're a regular and you're part of us so that when somebody else joins it's a little bit more natural so um that's the first one um i think the second one is just a public server there's nobody working on that at the moment but i thought something that you're interested in uh, liberation that is uh, that's currently up for grabs if somebody wants to to pick that up and do it we've got obviously the server capacity so if somebody wants to take that mantle you're more than welcome to do so um, there's a few things that are broken on it and um, everyone that's currently got access to doing anything with it hasn't got the time to mainly because they're 
busy with the main campaigns and stuff so if that's of interest to you then by all means um let us know so i know there's been there's been talk about um using the public server to have like a sort of um almost like a semi-official ops version of the public server where we don't have the public server up all the time and we have uh orbats and uh, people can fill them and, and slot in and, and then go in and you know it's perhaps not as not as, uh, not strict necessarily, but it's it's not quite the same as an official orbit, and it's also not quite the same. It's a bit more organised than perhaps liberation has been in the past. Right. Yeah. So so this is like quite a new concept, um, and and I guess um, it'll probably be in a server, um, but we're not one hundred percent sure how it will work yet. But uh, with Dash Dawn, the, the campaign Dash Dawn ending, usually what we do is we go to look for for a new campaign, something a bit different. Um, and somebody raised the, the prospect of, as Sarah just pointed out, having um, almost a private version of the public server, which um, is persistent. So when we say persistent, if you um, if you capture a town um, and, and then the server's turned off and, and reset three days later, that town's still captured. And but but there are like there's persistency to your effort. Now that's pretty much how a Unitaf campaign works. But I suppose the point is, if for those that don't know like there's a lot of work that goes on in the background right from the gms and the campaign managers like that's not an automatic process they update the maps and they update the mission files and, and so what we were thinking about is could we have a, a campaign that doesn't need gms it doesn't need campaign managers I, I, i'm looking at who's listening in uh, live at least um if any one of these people for example wanted to take a small patrol out like they want to get a handle at what leadership's like and not have to have maybe the pressure of a Sunday or a Tuesday or whatever when it's a large orbit if they could check a, like a small patrol out on that campaign and that campaign would be just a little it wouldn't it wouldn't be different I suppose we wouldn't want it to be as similar to the official campaigns as possible and it would be an official campaign but it's sort of a little bit less pressure because there's less people and you know less that can go wrong and you, you could sort of look at the the map of the server if you like and go well there, all the towns that have been captured. Maybe you want to do like a take a small sniper team out, for example, and find some objectives or um, something like that. Basically, I probably murdered the explanation of it, but it's it's basically a a campaign that doesn't require human input. It would be uh, AI driven progression with persistency, and we'd maybe limit the orbats to a certain size to to, to not have them be too big. Um, and I would hope that for for most people, what they would see is um, just an increase in smaller ops, uh, because one of the issues is we we obviously have a lot of orbats, but they tend to be quite big, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we we've, we've played a couple of smaller ops recently. I've really enjoyed getting back to that that smaller ops, and in Unitaf we just have that problem of if you want a ten man op, if everyone went to it, you'd have to have twelve of them. Um, so the the more we can lower that bar for access, the better, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with something that's not quite as, I don't want to use the word official, but not quite as official as, as a campaign is somewhere in between a public and a campaign. There's there's a lot of room for, obviously, like you said, this is a very early concept, but there's there's perhaps room there for, you know, things like, you know, potentially you know, dropping the, the sort of um, the tier system and allowing, you know, any, if anybody wants to, you know, to do this, that and the other, they can do it. And uh, maybe even looking into you know giving some sort of hours for people so that you know people can just 
get their hands on something without potentially, you know, not that this ever happens, but potentially, you know, screwing up a, a, a an official campaign mission by uh, doing something they're not prepared to do, and not, you know, prepared in terms of uh, having the training and experience to. Yeah, sorry, but, um, I think we could still continue this, but I'm just monitoring the chat as well. I think um, this is the first time we've used this um, fancy new Discord feature. Um, you can click a button somewhere if you're, you're listening live. Some people won't be listening live, but um, which will allow you to like put your hand up, and then we can actually bring you onto this stage. It's not a very impressive stage, uh, but you can come up here and then you can talk as well. Um, so if you do want to do that at any point. Um, if you find that button and wave your hand, um, then we can we can bring you up. But feel free to use the chat as well, um, and we'll follow it. Um, yep. So yeah, James, if if you want to mon monitor the chat and, and now monitor the hands up, so if, if you do want to ask a question, um, I would probably say if you if you're okay talking, then in the com stage itself at the bottom, you should see a little raise hand button. Click that, and I'll get hold of you. And if you don't want to talk, then just put a question uh, in the Comstage chat, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up, and um, uh, we'll we'll try and get to most of you. But you know, some of you, some of you, uh, we might not get around to your questions. And I think we can bring multiple, free to like, multiple people on as well. This sort of section is a little bit updated, but um, we've got some topics that we're going to discuss after, which um, will be and lend itself really well to that as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, is there anything else that's that's up and coming uh, in the next few weeks or months? Yeah, I think I think just back on that that server thing because I, I appreciate that the way we talk about it might not be um, like comparable to a lot of people. So what we're saying is it's it is an official orbit. So you could see that you you could put an orbit up for ten people. You would get hours for it. it would contribute to the tier system, and all um, normal SOP would be followed. So uh, in any normal sense, indistinguishable from any other operation. But it's just in the in the background, in the in the sort of behind the scenes, there is no need to pr pr produce a PBO, um, like the technical part of the mission build, which is a, a lot of effort, um, as anyone that makes them knows. It would be a, a computer-driven uh, campaign persistency. So it, it would one of the reasons why it's quite attractive is there's a lot of specialist roles like mortars, like marksmanship, which we're getting better at putting marksmanship roles on the orbats. I know, um, and aviation where um, it's hard to get a large number of those slots, but if you've got the ability to sit down and go, you know what, I want to put an orb up where I take a small sniper team out, or I take, or you, you could in theory just take a base building team out of combat engineers or support, like literally purely to go build a base, that that would be an option, right? So um, that that's the angle that um, that idea comes from, I think. I think that could be really interesting, especially if you're particularly interested in a, a certain area um of, of what we what we do but it's not offered uh free as frequently as as you like or at the scale you like it gives you that opportunity to you know to kind of run wild with it really and and uh really get involved in in that area of, of uh whatever it is that you're interested in like you said if you're if you're interested in base building then you can you don't do a lot of that in our official operations but it would be a good place to um to get your hands on that kind of stuff and i think in some ways, there might be it, it could be a good platform to try things out that we don't do in our official campaigns that could then be adopted by our official campaigns. Right, exactly. Because um, coming up, one of the one of the criticisms um, that we get sometimes is that some missions can be quite quite samey, um, but but that's because there's I guess some people maybe 
think about the pressure of having 64 people turning up to something like most of us naturally will lead towards the things we know work uh, we came out of an org coc op last night where we went into a cave and anyone that's played armor long enough knows that caves are quite controversial and they are a little bit out there as i as as um concepts for missions and it's you've got to be quite brave to try that and you've certainly got to be brave to try it with a lot of people so absolutely i think it's a good opportunity to try ideas uh that we maybe wouldn't necessarily get away with on um traditional campaigns cool okay i think we've kind of covered covered that um is there anything else that, that is in the works that's up and coming the next few sort of weeks or months yeah, I think I think the only noticeable thing I touched on it before is that a couple of the changes from the previous Syriap, so the L plate slots and and uh, anyone listening knows that we're doing a lot of work with slot priority. A few of those things are slightly delayed, uh, mainly just because of how busy everyone is. But hopefully this month we'll see them mostly implemented. But there'll be, you know, Gubbins updates in the Syriap that have that info. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily. Uh, essential that um, that we cover it now. Okay. Unless there's anything on your list that I forgot. Uh, no, no, there there isn't. So I mean, let's let's jump right into um, as mentioned at the the top of the episode and in the last uh, last Staffcast that we're rapidly approaching the grand old age of two. Um, I think it's been a, a pretty wild ride, really, from. From, from those early days uh, to now, um, I think we've we've done we've done pretty well. We've I think we've we're probably far ahead of what we imagined in some areas, and and probably quite behind in in others. Um, just because of you know when you have a concept as complicated and as grand as what you'd have was, you you realise that as you start putting it together that. That certain things that you prioritize are not actually a priority and, and other things that you didn't think were going to be important become really important so maybe let's just talk about um obviously you're you're the person to ask this like where did the idea of unitaf actually come from um and uh how did you how did you start to gather uh support for it yeah so I'm sure we'll double back on this because the other part of the question or the other part of the story is how we all know each other anyway because people that don't know, um, I mean, just me and you, for example, prior to Unitaf, won't know um, how I already knew you, for example. But to answer the question specifically, so I can't remember exactly how I had the idea for Unitaf. And Zero is quite right because um, basically pretty much everything that we do now was part of the original idea there's a lot of stuff that wasn't so the tier system and lots of things like that are like a natural result of uh we got to 200 people um like individual unique people and then we start to make decisions like oh we need to tweak this tweak that and so a lot of it wasn't but the grand age concept for unitaf was uh, a a a Milsim unit that had no mandatory attendance. And there are some out there, but they usually have this sort of NAF forum-based sign-up uh, system. And so the concept in my head was was the current system that we have. Um, and anyone that's, that's seen it, it's on the Discord somewhere, if you search for it, there's a, a YouTube video of like the early website concept. It looks nothing like it looks like now. But that was the whole idea, you know. Um, we throw out missions, 
uh, we have a big we can have a massive long list it doesn't matter how many hundred people are, are active at any one time because we we just fill it on a first come first serve basis and the sort of math works out right if you've got a hundred people active then x percent of those will likely be mission makers right so the more people you have the more missions you can have and we just started with a, a goal of well we can actually we want the quality to be high right which is why you'll notice in unitaf we have so many policies and standards right we, we want to make sure that as a as somebody attending a session that you don't rock up to one session one day and the arsenal's in one place and then you rock up the next time and the rules are all changed if you get me the settings are universal um so everyone works to the same master plan but 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 then you've got these different missions in between so, so that was the concept um and that was probably as as, as zero mentions the two-year birthdays in june this year um, I think we opened UNITAF on the 1st of June 2019, but our first mission was on the, I think the 16th, or like the 19th or something like that. But the UNITAF was being worked on months before that. So we didn't, we didn't sort of go, hey, let's start an armor group and then just start playing and then build the website. The website was very much the vital part of it. So the website was built before we ever went into our first mission. And then everyone signed up using the website and then we did our first mission and all i really did was i built the site i made a video about it which is still a, it's on our discord somewhere if you search for it it's a sort of a video of me talking through like how it how it works and and what the activity requirements would be and that actually at the time i was talking about even the asset management and stuff uh, which is still something that we're planning on doing and i just sent it to to anyone that i'd played armor with you know, in the last sort of seven years, because I've been playing in the community since 2009, so I obviously know a lot of people. And obviously I would have messaged you, Zero, at some point and said, hey, look, this is what I'm thinking. And I, th I think when we all got together, we very much approached it from an angle of Armour's one of those games where sometimes you get really frustrated with it and with the community, and you go off and play, like, I don't know, City Skylines in my case, or something like that. But then you very much always get drawn back to it and the grand scale of it. And, uh, there's loads of games where you can play with hundreds of players um, in big battles. But what's quite unique about what we do in Armour is that it is just a sandbox. We've created and we create on a weekly basis everything that we do. Like it's not, it doesn't come from anywhere else. And that's what makes it quite unique, I think. Yeah. Absolutely, I, I do remember those. What what brought me to to the idea of UNICEF was I having my my past experiences where you you join a group um, and you, you get in based on whatever the requirements are, and then you have this sort of every like in in IGG, the you know the group that I I know you from. It was it was every Tuesday. That was that was the day you played, and and uh, and that was it. And and after a while, I know for me. Like partly it was the moving to to Armour Three, um, and at the time the computer that I had was not capable of playing that properly, so that kind of ruined it for me. But also it it started to feel like a bit of a chore. Do you know what I mean? Like every Tuesday I had to play, and I was a well, I think I was a staff sergeant in the end, and it was like if I wanted to maintain that rank, I had to play on a Tuesday, and it kind of took away a bit of the fun. It felt like it was more of a chore and less of an enjoyment and the idea of having something where it was like you play when you want to play as long as you play a certain amount of times in a month which is if you want to play armor you're probably going to play it at least once or twice a month anyway but but to not have that you know you must play on this day at this time 
was a was a real appeal to me um and that's that's what sort of brought me to uh to unicef and, and trying to to make it you know uh make it a thing and then you know including things like obviously as you as you already mentioned you know we haven't uh quite uh put that into place yet and that draws back to what i was saying before where when in the inception of a, a concept like unicef you think something is important but you rapidly realize that it's not as important as important as you as you thought it was things like the uh the asset management and uh, stuff like that is, is something that still really appeals to me i think to have games within a game is really fun and i think a lot of people uh, still within within unicef would really enjoy uh, enjoy that kind of stuff and the, the logistics that go into into that sort of thing would uh It'd be really interesting to see that. As a little bonus for the people that are listening live, um, I've, while you were talking, then I just found the. So I made a Google form, and I sent it out to to you and everyone that I knew. I've just posted it in the chat to so any, anyone that is interested in that that is watching. I remember that. Yeah. I think there was about fourteen people reply to it. It was yeah, yeah, so, so small. So um, not that I'm encouraging anyone to start a unit. Obviously, that's not something I would do. <laughs> uh, one of the difficulties with like what we what we do is like getting to how big we are now is almost it's difficult don't get me wrong i'm not trying to make it out to be easy and it's not work that i've done by any means like one of the things that unitaph is great at is distributing the effort across a lot of people um and we do that by not having job titles like you'll notice you know there's a coc and stuff but we don't have like a social media manager anybody can contribute um at any level and then we recognize those people and tend to bring them on um but yeah, that, that form there, I mean, I've not seen that for, for two years, but that would have been my memory dump of like what I think we should do. And I sent it out to everyone and said, hey, does this sound interesting to you? It'll be interesting to read, actually, to see how similar that is to, to what we're actually doing now. And I imagine it's massively, um, massively different. But those main concepts that you talk about, which is not making it a chore, like that, uh, a lot of people turn up on a Sunday because it's sort of our busiest mission, but... You know, if you get a bit bored of it, if it gets a bit stale, you can just you can just not you can just go to a different or you can just take a break. People do it frequently, and then usually they go, you know what, I want to go back to that, um, and and that's the beauty of it. You can just come and go, come and go, come and go, and I think to me that was one of the most important things. It's not, don't get me wrong, we we're not we didn't invent that. That's been happening for years, but I think what we probably made great strides on is the process of it. So. Like how how do you? I I'm not sure there's many groups out there like ours that have this what we we call it dynamic all back system, um, where you can go into any role that you're you know, qualified for, that that have the the way that we're able to organise those all backs and fill them. Like usually it's a forum based system, and trust me when I say that on a 60, 64 man all back when we didn't have the automatic one up system, the amount of DMs you got off people saying, "Can I have this slot? Can I have that? to try and decide who should get it?" was a, was a logistical nightmare. Um, and so we're all about automation and putting the almost the control back to the individual and just saying, "What's well, your all back? Um, these are the rules that we've set as staff, so tiers and whatever. But beyond that, you can decide who takes this slot or which slot you deploy. And so we just took a good idea and made it great. I think. Obviously, that's my opinion, but yeah, no, I think that's one of the cool things about about UNICEF from from the position that that I'm in within the group, which is that we can we can have an idea about something and we can try it, and if it doesn't work, we adapt it, we change it, 
we don't absolutely completely stick to our guns you know like that's something that is that you don't see in a lot of groups a lot of groups will continue a bad system until it essentially destroys the group entirely so i do remember when we first started that we did have those sort of positions didn't we we did have someone who was like i think i was like a personnel manager and then we had someone who was you know dedicated to this and dedicated to that and we soon realized actually that that doesn't fit with with the rest of the way unitaf works like it makes a lot more sense to if we've got 50 60 70 100 members why not just outsource all of that work to as many people uh, you know as as who want to you know to do that work and that that has worked so much better than uh, the way we were doing it at the beginning yeah and then i'm always interested and then one of the reasons why i guess we wanted to put this topic on is it's it's important for for people that are newer to you to have to understand how we got to where we're at um i think and you're exactly right like if if there's a void somewhere so if if um if you have someone called head of recruitment um nobody's going to probably go and do any recruitment off their own back because they'll just assume that it's being done and then the person that is in that role feels some somehow obligated to do it and and no different to if you find the mission a bit stale and you want to take a bait from playing it's the same with the role but because you've got a sort of a pseudo job title the only way for it to be reversed and it's almost for you to be demoted in some sense which is obviously horrible so that sort of a perceived void means that everyone then feels free to contribute whether that's making a mission lead i mean it takes sunday for example so like usually i'm happily take the company command role on a sunday and i got jousted back down to squad leader this week so um it just goes to show that by being open and allowing people to jump in that um i mean that's four people that have opted to take a, a position on that all that higher than me which you know isn't necessarily the same in a lot of groups and i see pepper saying in the chat i think that uh, uh, beardley sorry that yeah one of the biggest problems with the units is like how do you get a good team around you um and it, to go back to that form that, that I, I posted to the people listening live which is um we've only ever started two units this one and one called igg just back in like 2013 i think and both times we started with about 14 people or more i've never ever started anything with less than that uh, because it's too difficult. Like the hard, I think the hardest thing to do is to, to get that core team and, and everyone understanding the the direction you want to go. And, and we've just been quite lucky in snowballing from there. And we're not snowballing because we're so good at recruiting. We're snowballing just because people say, "Hey, look, I've played here. It's, you know, you can go when you want. There's some decent. There's got a decent website. Um, and that that's why we've got 30 applications sitting in our inbox. And you know, we'll luck if lucky, we'll maybe accept 10 or 12 of them this cycle and hopefully that continues because it means we've we can cherry pick um our intake so yeah i don't know I don't, is, there, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of um you know the the, the sort of because I, th I think a lot of people probably myself included especially when it comes to things like the website like how much work has actually gone into making UNITAF what it is and and how much work continues to happen in the background that that most people are because of the way that you know the system is like how how much work goes in that people are not really aware of uh, obviously it's a lot um this is such a wide such a wide-ranging topic isn't it like it's... I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> we could do episodes and episodes on this. I, th- I think just to carry on, like to tie it into the last conversation, I think um, the way I like to explain it, and I, and I like to think I can speak for, for Zero and for Ben and for the other officers to some extent. Uh, by, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, the only officer that, that isn't, that I, I didn't know before UNITAF uh, is Matt. That says a lot in itself because, um, you know, Matt has obviously contributed massively to UNITAF, but Jari and Ben and Zero, Kevin, I've known for, for nearly 10 years. Um, and we we started in a, uh, well, some of us, not all of us started, I don't know who, who, but a lot of us started in a really, really big group called um, The Art of Warfare, or Tor, which you may be familiar with, which um, at the time we were we were there had about 3,000 members. And, and that taught us a lot about what works and what doesn't work in big org- big gaming organisations at least, but that was again a fixed orbit group, fixed schedule group. Um, and we, we started another one which was uh, s- sort of like 2013 to like 2016, at least that's when I stopped playing. But again that was fixed orbit and fixed schedule wasn't it I think. Um, and from 2016 to 19 like I had three years to sort of comp- contemplate like what worked well and what didn't. So UNITAF overall is, is just a summary of failure. Like, I mean, y- you can see stuff go wrong all the time, like what doesn't work, like what causes conflict, what causes groups to collapse. And then what we tried to do with UNITAF is build it in such a way that it's impossible for any of that to happen. Now, that's obviously um, a very misfounded statement because there'll be stuff that or lessons that we've not learned yet that will become challenges for UNITAF down the road but we've we have got an exceptionally adept team that have got a lot of experience both in this community and in their sort of real lives that actually affords us quite a lot of foresight in, in running UNITAF which we are massively fortunate for. Um, in terms of the, the, the website um, UNITAF, we nev- when we made UNITAF we didn't actually call it a unit and to some extent I still sort of, it's definitely a community because a community is you know, a collection of people isn't it, with, with sort of overarching relationships but I've sort of still refused to call it a unit in a sense because we, we like to look at it as a platform um, a bit like a social media platform like we provide a service which is we bring players together like at the same time and date and we provide rules which everyone follows in order to enjoy it so, so it to some extent we refuse the label uh, unit even though we sing talk and dance like one uh, the the website itself um I, I dread to think how much of my life has been spent on that i i didn't i'd never written really a line of code before i started united task force on it i learned how to code to code it because i had the idea for the concept and um i've been fortunate at least over the last two years that a few other uh trusted members have, have joined that process and assisted with it but it is um, probably t- between two and five thousand hours deep into development. Uh, it's taken two years, or actually more than two years now, because the, the development of the site was started way before UNITAF started. Um, so it is obviously miles ahead of anything else that, that exists, um, and um, will continue. I do. I was looking the other day, and, and um, Scapes recently joined us on the development team and he made like a little map of the development I don't think a week has gone by in the last two years where you know um, updates haven't been pushed to it Um, like I say I can't can't really think of a major way to explain it but it's substantial Um, I dread to think what it would have cost if it was um, (laughs) farmed out to a professional 
development team. Yeah, I, I remember from from my own personal experience how how many hours originally when when none of us really knew anything about Discord or how to to create or run a Discord server. How many hours I spent learning how to how to create a Discord server, and then uh, those original days where running the the personnel department, um, you know, looking for new recruits and and inducting them and, and getting them set up like. It's easy sometimes to forget both a how much work you've put into it personally, but but b how how much work actually goes in. You know, like when you go along to a mission, and you know you know play a mission, and and whether you enjoy it or not, like sometimes you can really lose sight of of how much dedication has actually gone in for you to actually be able to play that mission in the first place. And um, sometimes I think it's good to to remember that you know that that everybody in UNITAF from you know, uh, a candidate up to up to you and everybody in between is, you know, is doing their best to, to try and give us all like the best experience we can with what we've got to, to play with. Yeah, and, and the design ethos of the site is like, um, if we take a mission, somebody will spend, um, for those again that aren't familiar, like the GM will spend a couple of hours coming up with concepts and they'll meet with the leaders. And before a mission even starts, you know, I would say, two or three times the playtime of that mission's probably already been spent. That might be an exaggeration with some missions, but if we, t if we use Sunday as an example, um, if it's a three-hour mission, the GM would have spent at least that conceptually, the leaders would have spent at least that conceptually. So you're talking your nine hours deep, man hours deep, uh, before it's even started. But that's not a bad trade-off for 40 man hours or 50 man hours of, of playtime, right? Um, the, the design ethos with the website is... Um, if I can design a, a system that allows you to slot and de-slot a mission, and it takes me uh, three days of my life to do that, every mission that goes past, uh, we're making a saving on that because everybody's using that system. Um, the same as we, people that aren't familiar, we, we have a reporting system for for policy reprimands and for well for doing both good things and bad, and it just ensures that like any time something's reported, it's followed up right. So the amount of time that saves in me messaging somebody saying hey did you see that did you see this did you see that after action report system could you imagine uh, we've got 5,000 after action reports could you imagine if 5,000 people wanted to feedback their feedback on a mission and us write it down or make a note of it and then action it like how much man hours that would have taken over two years so the design ethos is like yes we've invested a stupid amount of time in it but everything that we've designed for Unitav, with a few exceptions, like the Unitav and stuff, doesn't rely on Armour 3. We know Armour 3 is not going to be around forever. There'll be an Armour 4, or there'll be a new game. Um, and we want a system uh, that can support something like, right, if in 10 years' time we can have 500 people doing what we do on a Sunday, and we can have tanker refuel aircraft flying over, and we can have... You know this this grand scale, like almost strategic, RTS level scale, right? We've already got a lot of infrastructure that can support it. How how is any other organisation going to organise that? Because you can't have a fixed orbit, five hundred man roster. Well, I mean, suppose you could, but if you have five hundred people all committed to turn up on a Friday, how many of them are going to pull out? Do you know what I mean? Because of real life. So we'll be best placed for it, and that that's literally why I've designed it that way. Because if if we had the technology to be able to have 500 people deployed on a Sunday and have 
10 F-16s and a refuel aircraft because they've got to fly 3,000 kilometers from Cyprus because the maps are the world scale, a bit like Microsoft Flight Simulator. That's the sort of stuff we're aiming for. Um, and we'll continue to build our systems until we get there. And we're, wait we're waiting for game technology to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that's on everybody's distant radar is uh, is Amber Forum and what that might uh, what that might bring to to the game and to us as a group. But obviously, that's a that's a long way off. Um, so yeah, just looking at the time, I, I guess. Um, unless there's anything else you want to specifically talk about in terms of uh, UNICEF from sort of conception to where we are today, um, probably best we uh, move on to uh, talking about. Um, Field leadership within uh, UNICEF. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm sure and that's such a vast topic that we've covered. I'm sure we can always revisit it in the future if people have got questions. And I don't know if anyone's raised their hand or not, but uh, that's definitely something we can always revisit. No, I think everybody's a bit too shy to to take the stage and and talk. But uh, there's yeah, there's been there's been plenty of comments. So I'm thinking like if if this is a format we're going to use in the future, I think maybe we have a sort of dedicated segment where people can ask anything, and and we'll just sort of you know, give give ourselves, you know, like ninety seconds or something to to answer any questions or as many questions as we can. I think that would probably be a good way because uh, obviously, as we talk, people are going to uh, come up with questions that may or may not be on the specific topic we're talking about. Um, yeah, so should we should we talk about um, leadership? Um, I think as we we sort of said before before we went went live, uh, we want to kind of approach this in not in terms of you know sop or, or anything like that but more of the sort of the concepts of leadership you know w what it is to be a leader and um what are the qualities um you should strive to to have in yourself uh as a leader um so i don't know exactly where you want to start but um let's let's start somewhere it's like the king the king of broad topics today like uh it is yeah <laughs> um <laughs> No, I mean, I think I think a good a good place to start would be like, you know, what what does it actually mean to be a leader? You know, like obviously we all know mechanically what it is to be a field leader. You're a fire team leader. You're in charge of, you know, four six guys, whatever it happens to be, or you know, you're a squad leader or a, you know, platoon company, whatever. But but what does it actually mean to be a leader of people? You know, what what does that actually mean? Yeah, and and I think this is less of a unit of question as it is just a general question and. There's loads of angles that we can attack this from, and it'd be great to get people to to join the conversation as well. But I think there's two sides to it. One is that we, I like to think at least in UNICEF, we have incredibly high standards um, across everything. So not just our missions, but our leadership as well. And there's, um, I see there's a conversation in the chat going on at the moment about about leadership, um, and we. We just hold um, incredibly high high standards across everything. Leadership is super simple, or at least my understanding of leadership is it's just your ability to influence other people to do things. And so there's two types of leadership in UNITAF, and and we're not talking about fire team necessarily in this conversation. We're just talking about what makes a good influencer, basically. Um, and in UNITAF, you've got um, you've got the missions which have leadership in them. And so in a mission, like being a good leader is how do you influence the number of people? Because you can have any number of people under you. Can't you? you can have six, you can have 12, 24, 40. After 64, we've done up to 112. Um, le leadership is just about influencing those people to do the thing that they need to do to achieve the mission objective. Um, 
and there's loads of boat but like benefits to that which is like can you have them can they enjoy it along the way you know are they learning are they are they making friends along the way that they're, they're all sort of augmented things but at its heart it's about influence and can you take uh, in this case might say it was my mission can you take my concept and can you execute it and each subsequent leader does it in their own way and everyone has their own styles and the other half of the equation which leads sort of on from what we just talked about Yulitaf approaching its second birthday is leadership's not just about like what we call fieldership it's about the outside of the, the game stuff because Unitaf in a way is its own mission right so we're an organisation that has a goal and we'll never get there so it, leadership in terms of me and you and members of the org COC and, and in fairness I wouldn't even limit it to corporals and above I think we can all be leaders in our own ways um, it's about how do we influence other people in Unitaf to make Unitaf get ever closer towards where we're trying to go so they're the same conceptually, they're just slightly different mechanically because in-game you have tactics and stuff, but you can have tactics out of game as well. It's all about dealing with people. Yeah, I would say ultimately that, that's what a leader a leader is, is, is understanding what needs to be done and then getting the people that are under you to a also understand what needs to be done and getting them to actually do it in a way that you believe is going to be um is going to be successful or the, or the most efficient you know in, in terms of armor it's usually with the least you know the least casualties to your side of the most casualties to the enemy um and i think often what's what's not realized is that i think generally speaking leadership becomes more difficult the more people directly you need to influence so for example a squad leader has two fire team leaders that he needs to influence but a fire team leader might have four or five six people that he needs to influence so it can actually be more difficult as a fire team leader to get what it is you need to get done done than it is at a, a squad leader level because you only have you know those two people to, to pass on your orders and, and to get them to do uh, you know what it is that you need to do but i think there's also um there's kind of a you need to have like an air of of trust and humility as well i think you know because as you you might think you know what the best solution is to a particular uh problem I, I, generally speaking that's how i i see things in in leadership is that my objectives are problems and i need to figure out a solution to those problems and the the people that are under me are the tools that i have in order to get those solutions uh, done and i think sometimes having having that air of humility is really good listening to the people that are under you and recognizing that that they might have a better idea than you do um and allowing them to to execute um that is is a really important thing for leadership there was a um there was a mission recently where i was uh, squad leading and we were coming to our second to last or last objective and rather than me planning it which is what I would usually do. I got the team leaders together and I said, right, this is our objective. This is what I know about it. And this is what we need to get done. Plan it amongst yourselves and tell me what you come up with. Um, and it was really good to see that, you know, they just communicated with each other and, and got, you know, got a plan together and executed it. And then they changed it halfway through because what they planned, you know, didn't turn out to be the best plan. And um, I think sometimes remembering that although you're in a, a higher position of leadership, you, you may not be the best person to, to, you know, to come up with the overall plan is a, is a really important thing.
but also to have that confidence, you know, that confidence to say, this is the way you're going to do it. If, if you are sort of supremely confident in, in the way that you want to do it. Definitely. I just want you to take stock of where we're at right now, just because I'm tracking the conversation that's related in the live chat. And I, want it to, I think it's a good time to bring it up and address it because it is actually sort of related to, to what we're talking about. So a bit further out of the chat, um, somebody asked why or mentioned right it's really difficult to, to get a junior fire team lead slot now this slot is is relatively new because we used to only have fire team lead squad lead and so the purpose of the jftl slot was um to, to create a bigger experience gap if you like between uh new leaders and people that go on to squad lead um if you're if you're not familiar with why we have org coc so when we say org coc we mean um corporals and above um, and then we have um, obviously to the regular members. The, f the first uh, route to understanding why it's set up this way is that um, the the NCOs, as we call them, or the OCOC, um, most all leadership roles ideally uh, we'd like to fill with OCOC members. Now, it's um, I'm trying to think of the be the best way to explain it. Uh, the org coc are not people that get preferential treatment necessarily on leadership slots even though that's absolutely the case but the org coc are the most active and frequent leaders so if somebody starts fire teaming and they start to do it a lot we will automatically come to you and say right uh do you want to be an nco basically now being an nco has a few additional perks to it but it also has some additional responsibilities to it so it's not for everyone we feel it's super important it's it's actually one of the cornerstones of how we how we run units half that people that um exert a lot of influence so what we're talking about as leaders have uh regular contact with the rest of the coc and, and are able to communicate problems and challenges and things like that so um to go back to the original question why is it so hard to get jftl slots we have 22 ncos um so if we have only i don't know 22 leadership positions in a week if we can fill all of those leadership positions with ncos we will do just because someone's an nco doesn't mean they're an experienced leader right we take on corporals corporals is very much a junior uh leadership role and, and a lot of our corporals um are still learning they're still getting experience as leaders and so jftl role doesn't mean non-nco um it just means that they're that that second fire team will accept a slightly lesser experienced leader than, than the first fire team so first and foremost we're absolutely committed to putting our ncos into leadership positions to give them the combat experience but we have to balance that as well with the fact that there'll be non-ncos that really want to lead uh, and probably want to become ncos and so there's two sides to the coin which is we, we regularly review the org coc and sometimes people just don't have the time anymore and we'll make space in the org coc we We've recently added two new corporals. We're we're about to add another one, and the the OCOC get guaranteed leadership slots, and uh, you'll notice that they're often pre-slotted before the orbit releases because we actually have a quota. So we have to have a a, a fifty percent of our orbits of our deployments have to be in our current grade. So for me, that's platoon lead or company command. For zero, that's squad leading and platoon leading. Uh, for a corporal, that's fire team leading and squad leading. So um, the real answer to the question is if you want to lead and you're really passionate about it um, the best place to get guaranteed leadership hours is as an NCO there isn't much scope really in UNITAF 
uh, for guaranteed lead, like being able to regularly and easily get a leadership slot without being an NCO. And the reason for that is you, you're not going to the regular meetings and stuff. So we can't feed back to you and you can't see after action reports and stuff. So it's it's a bit weird because it's like a hybrid of the fixed orbit and non-fixed orbit system. It can be done and people understand that you can get a GFTL slot as a non-NCO, but it, the system is actually designed to try and deter that in some way. I'm hoping that this just helps to understand why the system set up the way it is. I know Matt in the chat was trying to explain that, that um, this isn't just something we've arbitrarily decided two years ago and never changed. It's, it's a gradual process that we change over time and um, through experience. We find that if we see a good leadership candidate, uh, we'll fully invest in them and we'll give them as many slots as possible. What we don't want to do is just chop and change the leaders all the time. So you do have to keep pursuing it and spots do open up. Uh, regularly on the org COC. There is one at the moment uh, that's up for grabs. So uh, see like Shahid and Pepper, if, you, if you're interested, speak to your COC and try and get your name on those lists. And th the other thing is, if you do do that and say, look, I'm interested, I want to lead frequently, um, your COC will start to place you on those orbats. So I think I agree maybe a better process could be, could be uh, communicated on it. But uh, first and foremost, the org COC and NCOs are prioritised for leadership because we're invested in their leadership development, um, and and that that's the way that the system is set up. So let's talk a bit more about um, sort of qualities that, that would benefit people who are listening who either are leaders already or, or you know potentially obviously i know not everybody who's listening currently you know is interested in, in field leadership um, but what what are the kind of qualities that would benefit people who who are in leadership position or, or play in that that position uh, in a junior fire team leader role? like what are those qualities yeah so so that's a good question because it ties in perfectly with it which is um when we get a request from someone to say hey can i fire team lead or I'd like to be an NCO, how are we looking at that person and going right to the side? Because I'll be the first one to say that um, we've got some, we've got a great bunch uh, in the org COC, we've got some great NCOs, but we're all still learning and I'm the first one to put my hand up and say I'm still learning as well. Um, we we allow people to make mistakes and that's, that's the first point, which is we don't want somebody to, to sign up to UNITAF, see how great and well-structured things are and then expect some sort of like military level precision from every single leader because we, we're we all still learning and one corporal is not equal to another. They're all on their own path and, and learning. Some, some are better at cons than others. Some are, make tactically more sound decisions, but it's that regular slots, giving them those regular guaranteed slots is what allows them to develop their experience because you can only really learn through doing most of the time. Um, so I, I tend to look for I, I think ability to communicate clearly is, is one of the biggest prerequisites you, you have to be able to to go back to the very first start of the conversation we said like leadership is being able to get other people to do something like without through uh, um, influence and not through manipulation for example um, which is what makes a good leader so you have to be able to communicate the goal clearly um, and a lot of people in UNITAF have uh, you know English is not their first language so they, they've already got a um, maybe a disadvantage to, to me, for example. Um, but I would say 
being able to clearly communicate what you want them to do is is probably one of the first things we look for if you're not a great communicator and if you struggle with uh you know you've got a bad microphone is a great example of a technical reason why we might bat you back some so people asking about jftl slots in the past um, we've had guys that just have terrible microphones and we'll just keep batting it back because we're interested in the quality of 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 everyone else and we want you to have a fire team that's got a clear mic and you can clearly understand them so but we'll feed this back to you so even something as simple as that is really important like i said at the start our standards are really high have you got any other? There's loads of principles, so I'm thinking I'm just going to bat you yeah, the, I mean, the baton, and we'll go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there is a whole there's a whole you know bunch of, of various different attributes, um, you know that, that would that would uh, benefit you as as a leader. I think commu communications is is a is a real key. Um, if we go back to what we were talking about before, you know, like what is a, a leader and the, the fact that it's essentially receiving a set of instructions or a set of tasks that need to be completed and then relaying that concept to another bunch of people and either telling them to do it in a certain way or um explaining that situation in a way that they can then you know come up with the way to to solve that problem themselves that's why communications is is such an important thing you know if if, if you are unable to properly receive those that set of instructions and the parameters that come with it and then relay them correctly uh you, you're going to struggle as, as a leader and often often i think what it what it what it really boils down to is confidence is is whether you're experienced or not is is knowing that that you do know what what the right what the right outcome is you, i mean you already know what the outcome is supposed to be so like having that confidence to, because you do see that in a lot of um, junior field leaders, you know, especially if they're, if they're not NCOs yet, or if they're new NCOs, is that, they're, is that they don't approach situations in a very, in a very confident way. They, they allow often sometimes you know, the more experienced people in their teams to, to kind of help them out, which is not, not necessarily a bad thing, but, but sometimes having that confidence is all it takes, even if it's a bad plan. Um, to have the confidence to make a decision uh, and put it in in place you know if it's if it's a bad plan it will be revealed to be a bad plan and you can then work on it but if you if you don't make any decision at all if you don't communicate what your decision is then you know that's infinitely worse than than coming up with a with a bad plan so i think communications and confidence is is a is a two really important um attributes for a field leader Definitely. Just just keeping up to date on the chat as well. I see a few things in there, uh, and some, somebody's mentioned something that we were, we were obviously talking about something before, and somebody's mentioned that they've experienced something not go that way. So like something maybe someone's done something not in accordance with SAP. I think like I said before, like we we allow mistakes and we will make them. Um, we try and set our policies up to be clear and. Um, obvious to everyone and accessible to everyone so if you do experience that and, and you've you feel like some, you've been wronged in some way i guess definitely speak through the coc we're, we're obviously gonna gonna pick up and, and commit to to fixing it um but also what zero was talking about then is indicative of what i i just said about the conversation about gftls one of the reasons why um we also say right okay 
is this person interested in leadership? Yes. Do they want to do it frequently? Yes. Do we believe in them? Yes. Let's make them an NCO and then we start to give them loads of leadership positions. Now, usually we've already trialed them at that point in leadership positions. Generally how it works is you say, I want to be a leader. We say, okay, here's two all bats. You fire team leader on them. We go, oh, fantastic. You did really great there. We believe in you. Here you are. Now you're a corporal. Um, we'll give you that platform then to do whatever you want with it. And if you decide to do nothing with it, then you'll, you know, more than likely get replaced with somebody else. If you don't tell us that you, you want to step down first. Um, but it's really important because it gives you the authority, right? So what Zero was saying then about confidence, it could be a real confidence boost to somebody who says, hey, look, I'd love to lead in Utah. And we give them the stripes and then they've got that platform now to do what they want with. And they can build in confidence. I can think of loads of examples of people that have built massive confidence through that process. Um, and it only grows your confidence um, when you um, when you get promoted again, you know, when you've not mastered fire team because I'm a big, proponent that nobody's perfect but when you've comfortable with that role of fire to me and you go you know what I've, i fancy squad leader now to then be recognized as good at that thing as well is is a big boost for a lot of people um yeah absolutely i i, I think I when think you were one of the comments. i was just gonna say when you were talking one of the things i was thinking about was uh besides the comms like, i actually think probably maybe this even is even the biggest one that we look for is before we let someone lead we want to see them follow like we want to see how you respond to not being in the leadership position because there are some people that say you know i want to lead or i can lead or i've led before but they're not very good at following uh, the instructions of other people and a good example is there's plenty of orbats where i uh, will join it as a medic and hopefully touch wood like i say nobody's perfect so i may have done this at one point in time but what i try and do is play the role and not the rank and if I'm a medic and the AR who's a recruit tells me to do something, I'll do it. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm the medic, right? If I've got an opinion and I think I've got some value that I can add and I might say to the to the fire team, hey, why don't we go over there? But that's nothing that anybody else couldn't do. Um, and so I think it's actually super important. And if you can't do this, we will never let you lead, essentially. That sounds harsh, but but we we really won't. We've had a few examples of people in the past, and obviously I'm not going to bring up any names that that want to. They really want to lead, and they keep saying, you know, well, I would like to lead a team. But we've observed them, and we've you know fed back in the past that you know when they've maybe been a buddy team leader, they've not followed the instructions of the fire team leader, or, or they've operated too far out of of the of the scope of what a buddy team leader should do. And so it's it's so important that you you could do that first if you can't be a follower if you can't demonstrate your ability to follow instructions how on earth would you expect other people to follow yours and that that's huge i think yeah absolutely i, th I think one of the one of the other things and it, i think this is actually the thing about leadership is that all of the various attributes and principles that you might have as a leader all tie into each other i think one of the other things is so your your comms for example at the beginning of a mission you know, when you're all getting loaded up and set up and you might brief your fire team leaders as, you know, as a squad leader or, or as a fire team leader, getting you guys ready, you know, you'll be nice and calm and confident and assertive. But when, you know, when things get tough, when your fire team or your squad is in real danger, it, a lot of people's comms can become quite hectic and quite, uh, which is understandable, obviously. Um, but I think that's one of the attributes of a good field leader is keeping that calm is keeping a level head and 
keeping your comms, you know, to the point and brief. And if you, you know, just as I myself, you know, see a, a mission objective as a, as a problem, if I'm in a particular position and I'm getting, I don't know, hit by mortars, for example, then that again becomes a new problem. And then the question to myself is, well, how do I solve this problem? And what, what tools do I have, you know, at my disposal to, to solve this problem? And then you think about it, you know, logically and calmly, and then you get on the radio and, and you, you deliver those instructions calmly and uh, collectively. Because uh, if you lose, just like you said, you know, if people will emulate your behavior, if, if you lose your call and your comms start to become erratic and, and stressed and, and chaotic, then, then your, the guys under you will act, you know, uh, in response to those things. So keep, keeping a cool head under pressure is, is definitely a thing for, um, for, for field leadership. Um, yeah. And I suppose it's how, how do you get there? Yeah. So like, if you've never led before, like some, some of our best leaders are people that like we had to convince to lead, like, obviously that was a time before where I'd never done this before. Like, I'm not saying that I'm great. I may, may not be the best leader in Utah. I don't know. It's not for me to make that assessment. <laughs> but when we like, I'm thinking like 10 years ago, Ben, Ben was never a candidate for leadership, like uh, at a certain point. And I think maybe one day he just said, yeah, I'll give fire to you. Um, and he probably is to one, to, to some extent, one of our best leaders now. I mean, it's taking a long time to get there, but it's it's proof that actually it's just it's just the application of these principles that makes you good at something. And, and take someone like Dex. I'm sure Dex won't mind me speaking about him. Think about um, De- everyone knows Dex, right? Um, the ch- the additional challenges that Dex has in an English uh, English first speaking community um, that he has more than me. Um, and so when Dex first um, started expressing his interest interest in leadership, like we we wanted 100% wanted to get behind that, um, but it was it was a, a lot harder for Dax to um, apply those principles and and progress than it was for maybe if if English was his first language because he's got that added difficulty of um, me speaking really fast in English, his brain interpreting it in English, then converting it to his local language, him thinking in in his native tongue, and then converting it back to English so they'd get it back on the radio. So like. These are huge challenges to overcome, but it's all about practice and it's all about doing it over and over again. It's about battle drills and it's about, I know we said we weren't going to talk about procedures, but it's just about knowing it. And I do believe anyone can do it. Um, And when I say anyone, I say anyone with the right attitude can do it because a lot of these principles we're talking about, like being able to, to be a follower, like having clear communication skills. Not being a dick, like could be, it's not in. That's not written in SOP. I just made that up. But these are things that we obviously look for. Um, but that, that's attitude. It's not. It's not skill, right? We're not looking for people that are skilled, right? That's probably a fair thing to say. Yeah, I'd say so. Skill in this regard comes from experience. I think that approaching it with the right right mindset um, will, will, you know, gain you that, that um, positive experience. I think one of the one of the areas that we perhaps currently fail and I, I spoke to you about it earlier um, is is not delivering um, training to potential leaders you know to, to sort of give you know a lot of the stuff that we talked about tonight is you know getting getting a bunch of people together who who are not NCOs who are not experienced leaders and and giving them you know some of those principles to then then take off into there I think that's one of the areas that we we should definitely improve on and um, I am I'm uh, like I said earlier, I've sort of started to put it together in my head. Um, 
and at some point soon I'll, I'll probably you know put it down on paper and and try and get another you know two or three guys together who uh, I think would be would be good and then and then start putting on you know FTXs that focus a bit more on on the sort of theoretical side of of what it is to be a leader and uh, allow people to then take those those principles um, off in, in, into the real world sort of thing. Yeah. We, by the way, we're getting some great. Um, this chat's been popping off the the whole time, and then uh, the number of people listening there really seems to have gone up. So, uh, what I've started doing is pinning questions. So, if you're putting a question in the chat, I know some people are trying to answer them at the same time. If it's slightly off topic from what we're talking about now, I've just pinned them, um, and I think we'll double back at the end and just tackle them. Uh, so feel free to just keep shoving them in um, we'll do that and then um, feel free to like I say nobody has done it yet but uh, if you want to stick your hand up and join the conversation you're welcome to I think we'll probably continue talking a little bit about leadership and then we can double back and touch on some of these questions because they're slightly off topic I guess from what we're we're talking about and no I'm not certain that people translate from English to native tongue I only speak one language so if that's absolute bollocks then uh, then it probably is <laughs> I just assume that it's more difficult if you speak multiple languages to to listen to the radio and understand it all. I think that it is a good point that you raised um, when you were talking previously about about Dex is is the is the the adherence to what we would call SOP. Um, I think if because what that what that gives you it's not just about you know knowing your stuff and you know following the rules and all of that sort of stuff but what what we have in SOP. Again, just like the guys that are under you um, when you're in a field leadership position, the stuff that's in the SOP for field leaders are tools. They're tools there that if you read them and you and you learn them and you can remember them, even if you only remember one of them, when you come up against a certain situation, that then becomes a tool. It becomes a tool with which you can solve whatever problem it is that you're facing as a as a field leader. So, like adherence to to those rules is is such an important part of, of leadership. Yeah, so I think for anyone like say listening live or listening on the pre-rec to, to tie off that last point about confidence is um, when you do something enough times it just becomes an eight and then you don't need to uh, think about doing it like and that's the same like there's a lot of things that some people have to sort of pick up and learn like maybe it's radio related that to me is just an eight and like I've got to the point where I can listen on one frequency and talk on the other one and and still make that work that's not an expectation and that's not really how you should do it but but the more the more you do something the more you're able to do things like that and then you can just my, what i always say to people in the leadership ftx is this take something for each mission you're in and you don't need to be in a leadership position to do this but if you know like one of the things you struggle with is comms just go into that mission and go right i'm going to focus on my comms not just comms but this specific part of my comms like how clear I am or whether I'm tasking by name or whatever. Look at the SOP for it and just focus on that for that mission. And then when you're happy that actually I'm getting the hang of this, bin that SOP off and then maybe it's contact reports. Have a look at the contact reports. So for this mission, I'm just going to try and get a little bit better at contact reporting. Nail it, nail it, nail it. When you're happy that you've now ingrained that in your mind, bin that off and move on to the next thing. And that's the best way to do it. Um, the next one I wanted to talk about was uh, micromanagement because this kind of like is a big thing in the org C right and it traverses two things like in game and out of game and when we talk about micromanagement we mean like um, the uh, for example like me in, in my position in Unitaf like I shouldn't go around and say to people like 
here's what I want you to do and, and this is how I want you to do it. So for example, if I went to Kevin and said, Kevin, we need 20 more people to be recruited. I want you to put a post on Reddit, Discord, whatever. That never happens. Um, we're big proponents of, we'll state what our goal is, our objective is, and if it's not your remit to decide how to do it, then just don't get involved. Um, you'll find in life, as well as I found in Unitaf, that um, we just try and state to the best of our ability what our goal is. So um, some conversation going on about like FTX and FTX scheduling. So what's our goal there? And we'll put the rules out there and we let everyone else deal with it. And in a mission, it's as simple as um, the mission designer says, you know what, I want you to get this convoy from A to B. And, and it's down to those leaders, the leaders in the mission to go, you know what, this is how we want to execute it. You, to, to execute a plan effectively and to really learn the lessons from it, you have to make the plan. I've made the mistake before, and I know there's somebody listening, uh, or is at least listening to this live, that, that will know what I'm talking about, where I've uh, allowed someone to lead a mission and I've given them, I've, I've been involved too much in the process. I've said, this is how I want you to do it. And so that's a great example of me knowing the procedure, knowing what I shouldn't do and still doing it wrong. And what I have to be able to do is step back and go, you know what, don't get involved. I've, I've got to give that person full responsibility so that they know that they can do anything they want with this and this, any success that is had out of that is their success and any failure is their failure not that failure is a bad thing because that's a learning experience and so we we have a saying which is tell people what to do not how to do it and it traverses every level of leadership so um, if you're a fire team and you're telling someone to shoot at something tell them to shoot at it don't tell them how to shoot it unless you need to right unless they're new and they don't understand and, and uh, to me that applies throughout squad leading platoon leading company command forget even the game Unitaf as an organization like we state what we want to do we don't state how to do it yeah i think it's it's such an important thing because you like as a as someone who's a squad leader most of the time if I tell my fighting leaders how to do something, then there's no point in them being fighting leaders. I may as well just have direct comments to everybody in their fire team and I'll just tell them how to do it. Um, to have that, and that comes with leadership is having faith in both the people above you and below you to know that they can understand your orders and execute them in, in, in the way that you want them to, to execute them. And part of that comes from you delivering your orders in a way that, um, gives them the you know the most complete picture yeah so i think to, to tie it back to the original thing again which is what because we were saying what makes a good leader all about talking all about unit unit uh sorry leadership in unitaf i was gonna say unitaf in leadership um like if you're an aspiring leader or you are one it's about um understanding that you uh, the, my role as a leader and zero's role than everyone else's role like is to understand what my job is so if i am a fire team leader in this mission then i have a very specific job it's no more than being a fire team leader. it's really no less than being one understanding where those is and giving as much responsibility as possible to the people in my fire team so i shouldn't have to tell everyone in my fire team what to do i should give them the extra rope to to make their own decisions and be a bit fluid with it but it's all about knowing when to pull that rope in and tighten it and when to loosen it out that's what we're really talking about so if, if you see your fire team doing stuff that you don't agree with and you're like that's you're too far apart or no i don't want you you need to tighten the rope and if you've got a team that's newer you need to keep that as close it's a bit like walking a dog you know you've got, <laughs> you've got to keep the rope a bit more taut and then if you've got an experienced fire team and everyone's very comfortable and you know what you're doing and you're 
then you can let that rope out and you can let them wander further and that's really what it's about um i guess we all like uh metaphors and guess that's the best way to explain it do you think um one of the other things i don't know quite how to phrase this but it's, it's maybe not perhaps the, the the right terminology but um something as well i think uh, good attribute for a field leader is is uh is an air of forgiveness almost i i sometimes hear you know on comms a lot uh when something goes wrong that there's a lot of you know why is this happening or why isn't that happening or what did this happen or like sometimes as as a field team leader you need to when something doesn't happen the way you wanted it to, or when when someone under you does something that you didn't tell them to do, or something they've done changes what you then have to do, it's better to immediately forgive the fact that they've done that thing and then either immediately just correct it and then move on or just move on immediately so that you can continue with what your primary goal is and your primary goal is whatever it is your your current objective is, rather than to focus on the fact that something's not been done or, or something's been done against you know what you said previously yeah and and to some extent you can maybe classify that as a mistake right which is if somebody makes a mistake like you must forgive really quickly and easily and remember that actually that's good i'd far sooner like we can do ftxs all day long but, but people learn from doing don't they and if you a lot of these principles that we're talking about we've just learned through through making the mistakes ourselves and so if we okay where possible if we can avoid other people having to make them to then learn the same lesson great but more often than not people just have to learn it for themselves and that, that's where it really sticks um i think but yeah absolutely i mean if someone to go into <laughs> using metaphors again like if someone tells you don't put your hand on that stove it'll burn you that's nowhere near a, a, a as good as a lesson as if you put your hand on that stove and realize how hot it is yourself like sometimes you have to allow people to make mistakes but then not focus on that mistake you know, to move on from it and um you know know that they will learn from the fact that they've they've made that mistake on their own so like i think to to, to double back to the very start so we, we were talking about like we, we were kind of led by the chat because the, the chat is now i don't know what country or topic the chat is in now it's definitely not talking about what, <laughs> what we're talking about <laughs> something to do with the but uh, it was about like, how, how do we pick leaders, right? And I started by saying that I like to think our standards are extremely high. Do we always meet them? No, of course we don't. That's part of the learning experience. And as we find that maybe uh, our policies are wrong, we change them or people aren't following this policy, then we try and find better ways of monitoring it or whatever. But with good intentions, we have, and you can find this on, in SOP if you're not familiar with it, there's a section of SOP called administration, which has a lot of technical stuff in for unit staff, like how stuff's done and how it works. But there is a whole section called principles. And it's kind of what we're talking about now, which is what do we look for? And we're not just looking for people that can lead in game. We're looking for people that have good people skills. And I like to think that what makes us a little bit different and we're, and we're not the only group that has this, this approach, but we don't take a very drill instructory, drill instructory approach to what we do. As Zero said, like, hopefully nobody's ever heard me shout, and you would have heard other NCOs shout, but we don't shout at people because, like, what's the point? Like, if, if I can explain to you, actually, uh, next time you do this, do it in this way, in a calm manner and, and whatever. So it, it goes back to, like, literally what we talked about, having a level head, uh, having a bit of confidence, um, 
it's all about nurturing people right because some people actually in UNITAF have in their personal lives or in their real lives you know they have jobs that are either there's a lot of people that are in the military in UNITAF so th these are things that they do in a daily basis anyway but there's a lot of people that you know they've achieved things in UNITAF which you know are quite incredible when you think about it like, in terms of the number of people that they lead and, and things like that and I always find it a lot more challenging because in UNITAF nobody's paid nobody's obliged to follow anyone else it's only the rules that the state you have to do it and so it's a much more challenging environment to influence you know 64 random people in which case some of them have never met from 20 30 different countries to do the same thing and do it together and achieve a goal like that is difficult and it's only possible through the you know we have on average one leader per six people usually on most orbats it's only possible because of all those leaders understanding what the goal is and you know not giving too much rope to, to the people that they're leading but not holding it too tightly that those people feel like they're on a leash that's important and at the same time they're they're learning along the way so the the reason why we have a system like the org coc is because we pick who we believe in as leaders as leadership people that we think we've got good leadership skills people that we think can go far and that want to lead regularly and that are active and that will get involved in the wider community and we give them the ability to take those positions before everyone else specifically with leadership that is sorry um, and we nurture them give them the opportunity to, to get better and better and practice at something um, and that's why it's set up that way and so if you want to get involved in that and what we've talked about sounds interesting to you and um, just keep practicing what the, the most important thing that we look for if, you, if you're not managed to get on the GFTL slot at the moment is that you've been here a little bit for a little bit of time at least and you understand how UNITAF works and you can be a follower and if you've proven that you can be a follower then we'll start looking at you uh, as leadership potential um, and like I said I'm not saying that all of our leaders are perfect we're all learning but we do our best to, to raise standards where we can yeah absolutely and, and second to that you know if if you are interested in it um not only that but you know talk talk to whoever it is who is directly above you and say that i'm think i'm interested in leadership point me in the right direction and you know i'm i'm you know have no doubts that they they will uh try and help you um get on that ladder and i would say for anybody who is listening either either live or or in the in the recording um one of the best pieces of advice is to just jump into it every single person who has ever approached a leadership position in within a, a group uh like armor or even in, in real life but in, in a group like you know sorry um is that feeling of apprehension that i i want to do it but i'm not sure i'm good enough um and the best piece of advice i could probably give you is, is to just jump into it jump into it with both feet the worst thing that could happen is that you completely screw up and get everybody killed and ultimately at the end of the day luckily it's only a game you know and no one's gonna chew you out because of it and you will learn from it and you will get better so don't yeah. don't allow that to sort of hold you back our, our genuine attitude and, and that there are groups out there that if that happens they will cheat like like Sarah says they'll chew you out um our attitude is we failed the mission but we gained a lesson like so so we yes we lose on the mission and maybe that has a slight detriment but actually we've gained a, a leader that's got slightly more experience than they did going into the next mission than they did in the last one so it's a win-win yeah, and i would say like I, I think a while back in the chat you know some people were saying you know failure failure needs to be an option um and it, it, it is actually an option it, it just so happens that 
we are pretty good <laughs> at what we do. I know from um, from GMing uh, Operation Herrick for for those few missions. You know, we we tried really hard to not just simulate you know like a, re a realistic enemy force, but to actually try and uh, force the friendly you know force our guys to to fail at their objectives and to allow the enemy that we were in control of to succeed in their objectives and we are really good we're really good at, at what we do uh, at killing the enemy and and getting our objectives uh, done so uh, unless you use your your zeus powers to you know really overpower us you know generally speaking we are you know we're going to succeed because because we're good at what we do yeah at the same time i understand uh, i didn't see that comment at the same time i understand that um that comment so like um looking for more difficult um missions so, some people definitely have a yearning for more difficult missions more challenging missions maybe missions that are next to impossible so i definitely understand that that um that comment um there's no nothing stopping us uh, approaching that um have you looked at the time i have yeah I've so i was just be, about to say like but... i think we've probably covered as much as of leadership as as, as we want to um so do you do you, do you want to open up the the floor to some questions and we'll try and um we'll try and answer a few if anyone has any but do we want to do we want to limit it at all to a particular topic or are we just gonna just go nuts well, we're definitely winging it, aren't we? We said we'd try out this new feature, see how it goes, and then we'll get some feedback on it and decide how we're going to do it. I've pinned some questions that I saw certainly like in the latter stages of our discussion. So all I'd say is if anyone's still got questions on anything, uh, just put them in the bottom. I'm going to start pinning them, and we'll just start tackling them. And then I think Zero is still watching the stage. So if you just want to join us, then just click the hand button. I don't know if there's a hot hotkey for it or not but if you go to if you click on com stage because i know you're all spamming the chat at the moment but if you go into click on com stage you can literally request a join or something um and then you're welcome to come up and ask the question we can have a thing and we'll just um try and tackle as much of them as you can either if they're about what we've already talked about or if they're just completely random um so pin messages um so Beard, beardly asked and this may have been addressed in the chat or not what holds up a specific FTX? I've been waiting for mortar man training and marksmanship. So I'm trying to clarify, I'm not asking why I haven't received training because I understand I'm not the only person. But what I want to know is about the process. Like, what do you guys need to do to make that training possible? So, great question. Um, I think somebody maybe touched on it in the chat before. No, nobody's paid in Unitaf. And if you were listening at the very start, um, we don't have any like positions per se. So there isn't like a head of training. You've probably noticed there's no head of mortar, for example. Um, so what? There's a couple of things we do. We look at the demand for for a certain training, and at the moment you can do that via the role center. What we're actually going to start doing is purging that request list on a monthly basis because obviously it's difficult to know if somebody still wants practice or if they've just left the option set. Basically, um, it requires two things. It requires somebody that knows something about that subject to put up the um, the training. There's nothing stopping. If you wanted to do 30 more mortar trainings in a week, you could, in theory. Um, technically, it just requires one thing. It requires an NCO to go uh, for a couple of reasons. NCOs are the people that are able to schedule um, both missions and FTSs. So it just needs one NCO. The NCO doesn't have to be the instructor, though. So say if, you, if you're dead confident with the SOP and you feel like you could actually 
take on an instructor role in in, more, in marksmanship or mortarman you could actually just approach an nco and say hey you know i'd like to do an ftx for this subject um could you come along and, and just um be there you know and the nco basically is like a an official an officiator if you like to, to say that yes it happened and actually instructing is the best way to get hours and that's why we designed it that way right if you look at my profile i've got 100 hours in core infantry practice and i've only ever played 50. Um, the system's designed to get the people that um, understand the subject it's designed to encourage them to teach other people how to get better at it so the biggest bottleneck though because i think that's the question that beardley's asking is that um, every time we do an FTX, you know, two weeks after somebody will will request it again. So um, we only have so many people and so many hours. So I think it's it's merely just down to having an instructor that's available. Um, what we're trying to do at a policy level is lower the bar to make it easier for FTXs to be scheduled for people to instruct them. I suspect a few people didn't even know that you don't need to be an NCO to be an instructor and that anyone in theory can do it. Um, you just need an NCO there to 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 say yes it happened and this is how long it lasted and so on and so forth um so hopefully that answers your question like i say feel free to come and join us up here if you if you want to elaborate on it but hopefully that answers the question so i mean in, in terms of people who might be looking for a specific training in certain areas like i suppose the best the best way would be to as always ask ask your immediate um the person above you in, in your immediate chain command but also you know use things like general chat ask ask people if you know if there are other people that are interested in doing the same thing and then and find out you know within that group if there's someone who's already experienced or is willing to to run that ftx and then you just need to find a an nco who's who's willing to come along and um just sort of you know be there or, or help with the with the zoosing or help with the training instruction yeah and, and our top level approach because for new people it can be hard to understand is that um, d remember don't look at the tier when you see a role and it says tier 2 don't think of it like you need tier 2 for the role you do in a way because obviously if an all back goes out and it's tier 2 it's more than likely going to be taken by someone before you're going to get to it if you're tier 1 or if you're tier 0 it's a recursive system so we're looking for the most experienced person not necessarily that, that's available not necessarily um, you know just, just the top person it can be any one of them so um the demand for FTXs comes from two places, people that generally don't know the subject and want to learn it and people that need to um, keep practicing that in order for to get this systemic tier in order to access it. So it's called a practice system for a reason. We just want people to do it over and over again. You know, If it's AA, we want you to have 500 helicopters approaching you so you know how the launcher works so that that one time in a mission <laughs> when a helicopter comes and strafe runs your fire team, you, you've done it a million times before, bam, job done. Um, so what we will do from a system level is change the requirements somewhat. So in Beardley's case, like if he's just joined, he's, I see he's a recruit, right? So if, if he wants to get sniper heavy, for example, it's, it's like tier four, isn't it? We'll, we'll have a system down the line that's experience-based, and this is talked about in SITREPS, where we can say, yes, Beardley is a capable heavy sniper, but he's only tier one, for example. So we will have a system down the line that, basically allows you to access these slots it will still prioritize the tiers don't get me wrong if you're high tiered don't worry it's not going to throw a, um, throw you off but we'll have uh, the tier system is experience based it's not capability based and we are working on multiple systems and it, it's talked about in in other sit reps much better than i can address it now so and um, like i say hopefully that answers the specific question about um, ftx's but 
next question I think was just a follow up from Shahid on we were talking about JFTLs um, and what he's saying is that we should be able to be JFTLs through um, the AR2IC role so I think what he's saying is that um, if, if somebody slots into AR2IC um, they should gain hours which would give them access to, to JFTL is my understanding of the question so two two points to the answer AR2IC is no longer going to be AR2IC um, it's not a change that's been made yet but one of the things that the org COC had fed back to us and we've had um, discussions about over the last three sort of NCO and officer meetings is that um, a lot of leaders want the flexibility to, to pick their two ICs on a more uh, fluid basis so we're working on the procedures for that before the change will come but AR2IC will not be considered the default 2IC position it will be possible to assign the 2IC to a different role so that negates part of your question but let's take the other half of your question and for what it is which is um, how do you get can you can you get automatically into JFTL through some sort of 2IC role um, I think the simple answer is we don't um, I've not thought about this too much, Sarah can correct me, but my honest first impression is that we don't struggle to fill leadership positions and I don't think we need any way of automatic, bear in mind everything we just spoke about over the last hour, hour and a half about leadership, I don't think we ever want a system where somebody can waltz into fire team and slot completely unchecked through the tier system. We will always have some sort of a manual check to say, uh, for two reasons, we're happy and we believe that you're this is the right time for you to lead a team and that the squad leader is experienced because that's the other thing when we generally start people leading we also check to see who's around them in in that orbit um, but my general feeling is that there's always a going to be a manual manual check so in terms of getting into JFTL and FTL though the first few times you do it we're always going to be like this is the right orbit for you to do it um, but I absolutely set because I, I think where Shahid asked that question from is some sort of clarity about how can you get a GFTL slot, how can I do it? I agree we definitely need to work on a system for that because it's blatantly not clear from reading the chat how you go about that process. So I'll definitely take that on board and I think we can look at how we, um, having a more clear system, maybe like a um, some sort of a queue or a, um, a list of people that are currently opted in and then there's a priority listing or something. There's a, a question by Astrio um, that I think we can probably t touch on fairly briefly, which is, uh, does the NCO candidate usually know when uh, he or she has been selected? Um, generally speaking, uh, from my experience, the way it works is when, when a position is uh, is available, like uh, one is at the moment, um, troop, troop commanders will ask uh, the NCOs in their uh, troop if they know of anybody who either is a capable or b interested in it and generally speaking those ncos will then um reach out to those people and say hey are you interested or are you still interested if that person has made their interest known um and then there usually is a conversation about what it would entail to become an nco um and then those people are sort of put on a short list and then a, a decision is made so yeah generally speaking i would say that um if you are a candidate for an NCO position, you will know about it way ahead of time, probably because you've made your interest known or because your NCO has uh, uh, come to you and, and, and said, you know, hey, there's a position coming up and um, would you like to fill it? And this is what it would uh, entail if you did take it. Yeah, and this kind of leads us on actually to the next question, which is from Astrea, but 
just to touch on what Zero said then about JFTL. That's absolutely how it works at the moment. So you'll notice if you've ever asked for a JFTL slot, most field leaders, definitely I will say, you need to go to your COC, not not to me. So generally what we try and get you to do, so say you've got John Smith wants a JFTL slot and he comes to me, uh, Matt, sorry, Matt's the field leader for Sunday, he goes to Matt says, I want that JFTL slot. Matt idea would say, just go speak to your COC. So he goes to his section command troop kind of says, look, I'd really like to get a FTL slot. I see one's come up on Sunday. Do you think I can get it? The reason why we do it like that is I... Evidently, there's like 120 people in Unitaf. I think it's a bit less than that, 110 at the moment. I used to, I don't anymore, read every single after action report. Um, and certainly, even though I probably do read every after action report, like comments wise, I, I don't know who they're from. Whereas, what the section commanders and troop commanders do is they're tracking you much more closely. So, they know if uh, they know how you're getting on in missions, they know like what roles you're into, they know if you've had issues with rules like if you broke any rules recently so it's for them to say yeah i'm happy for john smith actually to take a leadership so he's he's proven he's a follower i've not had any issues with him he's enjoying everything like absolutely and so the coc will go to the folio and say we've got a and the other thing we do at um, officer level now is we have a massive candidate list which leads into australia's question so we've got like a list of uh talent if you like people we think are up and coming um, and so your name, you can certainly ask your COC if your name is on that list. And then if it's not on that list, what I would say to my troop commanders, I'd like to be on that list. How can, how can I get my name on it? That would be a good question to ask. And they should more than happily come back and give you feedback. Because um, as somebody pointed out before, like everyone can do it right with the right with the right attitude. And if your attitude is maybe wrong, there's still an opportunity to change it. Um, and so what we'll do is we'll we'll usually have um, a list and we'll look. Uh, so somebody's asking for JFTL and we'll go actually that person's JFTL'd like three times in the last month whereas this person's not had the opportunity to do it so that's generally how we're assigning JFTL but I'll definitely as I said before I'll definitely look at um, at that process um, Stuart asked does the NCO candidate usually know when he's selected so I think Stuart's not talking about field leadership roles he's talking about when we promote people to org COC um, good question I don't think that some of the I know there's a few officers in the listening, so they might have to confirm. I don't think there's any policy that um, means that they have to tell you that you're a candidate, but t typically you'd have to put your um, name into the hat first. So usually what happens is you, you've already fire team met a couple of times, and and to take a couple of examples of the latest um, guys that have joined, so like White Wolf um, and Legacy. So we've known for a long time. Hopefully Legacy doesn't mind me talking about him. We've known for a long time that Legacy wants to be a corporal. His name's been on a list for a long time, um, and we keep keep feeding back to him. We want you to do this, we want you to do that. One of them was get a new mic. Legacy got a new mic, and we're all thankful for it. Um, and so his name was always on the list, and we just track it and whatever. Same for White Wolf, but I think White Wolf was a bit different. The COC kept saying, you know what, he's a great two IC. We should get him to fire team it, and then we put him in the fire team position, for example. And so it happens in different ways for different people. If you want to know if your name's on the list, I think the best thing to do is just ask, say, hey, am I on a candidate list? Have you considered me for NCO? And if not, why not? And they'll more than likely feed back to you. Um, Flubber asks, I don't know how joking it is, but uh, whether Herrick will uh, come back or not. Um, if you're still here, Flubber, I would say yeah, there's definitely a potential for, for Herrick to come back. Um, we put a lot of work into it and then didn't uh, run it for anywhere near as long as we wanted to. So um, 
yeah, I think there's definitely a potential for, for Herrick to come back. We, we, we were trying quite a lot of unique things, and I think those those things that we were trying with within Herrick are, are still things that we would like to, to try and see how they pan out. So, yeah, I would definitely say keep your, keep your eyes and ears open for um, a comeback for Operation Herrick. And if you are interested in, in cutting your teeth as a, as a mission designer or a, a GM or, or indeed any other sort of role, um, should uh, approach approach myself or or Matt or Jari, who are uh, the main people uh, behind Operation Herrick. Yeah, and uh, again, just I always like to try and put me on stuff. We we try and limit the number of campaigns, so we switched to a campaign system for a number of reasons. One was like mods and just to try and encourage anyone in Unitaf can make a mission. We try and encourage it to be these people that are private and above, mainly just so they understand how we work. But the approach we take now with the main campaign, so we've obviously got. Um, Brimstone and Typhoon and Aisha is we want people to contribute to those campaigns and then we'll recycle the campaign and bring a new one in rather than having 30 campaigns where we maybe visit them once a month. It just helps the server administrators, it helps everyone to, to focus on something for a certain period of time. Um, definitely. Um, so yeah, I'm sure Herrick come back. The one I want to see come back is Pavis. Bring back Pavis. Um, uh, William asks a uh, quite a good question. In um, is it worth asking my CSE if there's any negatives I should be working on um, that they've noted? I would say absolutely, definitely. You should you should talk to your your CSE as much as possible. But also, um, you should in your in your debriefings uh, after a mission. That that's a really really good place to get feedback from. Even if you haven't field led um, in that particular mission, it's a really good uh, place to to get feedback from people. You know, often what people do is is give their own um, opinion on on what what their experience was within that mission. But rarely do people you, you see it a lot with um, new fighting leaders. But often people don't say, "How do you think I did in that mission?" And you can get some really good feedback from that from from the guys that played with you and. It's a really good way to to improve your stuff, but yeah, you should definitely be talking to your to your COC, and because uh, you may not be aware of it, but most of the NCOs and the officers pay pretty close attention to the way that everybody plays, uh, the under and around them in missions. Um, Hotspot adds to that question: Will an NCO above you typically reach out if there are concerns? Or put it another way: How do you know if you're meeting standard or not? So. I think Zero perfectly addressed the the first one for William and I'd say absolutely if ask your COC if they, if they've got any concerns. The th the thing about it, remember, is like we say is we the reason units have set up like this with the decentralized administration is imagine if I had to track all of it. Like me and Kevin or me zero, imagine if we had to track hundred and twenty ten people and feedback to you. The way we've structured it like this where you've got sort of fit fourteen to twenty people in these sections is so that um, actually, these people can take a bit, pay a bit more attention. But remember, it's not their job, and a lot of them are very busy, so they won't necessarily naturally go through the list and come back to you and say, "Hey, William, hope you're having a great day. Here's some feedback for you." You, you certainly definitely have to be proactive in that. Um, what Hotspur is asking, and so my advice is definitely ask, especially if you're like pursuing leadership roles. Be persistent. Don't be too persistent because there's a fine line between politely asking and 
becoming maybe a burden to you to to the COC. But just say, look, I've fired team a couple of times recently, and just wondering if you've heard any feedback. Is there anything I can do? And that doesn't necessarily have to be a section commander. If you can't get hold of your section commander because everyone's busy, feel free to ask the troop commander. Just make sure you do it in that order, um, and they can certainly feed it back to you. Hotspurs extension of the question, which is, will people reach out to you if they're concerns? Um, or if you're not meeting standard, we have loads of systems. Like if you've seen our website, you can imagine how much of the website you can't see that that we have. Sounds all very North Korea, but we have systems in place for. Some of you may even even experience them. So, if you break a, a policy, um, you'll usually be warned, and sometimes it can be reported. And there's a a, a system that ensures that the COC follows up on it. So if you've ever experienced that, it also happens for no-shows. Your NCA may have reached out to you and said, hey, I see you no-showed this mission, or I see you picked up an RPG and fired it, and that's against the rules. Like, And they'll go through it with you, and it'll be logged on your file, for example. So they're, they're, we built that system to ensure that you get that feedback, and that we have a track, we were able to track um, systemic issues, basically. But it's not just a bad thing, we do it for good things as well. So if you do something great, Let's say you go in as a two IC and the fire team it goes down loads of times, and uh, you really step up and and that wasn't your job for that night, but you did it. We have something called praise reports as well, and so you may have even experienced this, where an NCO or someone comes to you and says, "Hey, can I have a chat?" and they say, "I just want to say well done for this." And the reason we have that system is to ensure that we actually thank people when they do stuff. So that's called the praise system, and I'm happy to report actually that we probably have more praise reports than we have. What we call reprimand reports, um, but that system works a bit like the after action report system. So for NCOs, if they have a reprimand or a, a praise report to deal with, they get notified on the website to deal with it. Um, and we also have policy flagging systems as well, so um, we can rate your adherence to specific SOP, so rules of engagement, so on and so forth. And down the line, Hotspur that will tie into your access to all that roles. So if you've shown a great understanding of a certain SOP, it will help you to get access to the roles that use that SOP. And if you've shown um, a distaste towards that SOP and an inability to follow it, it may hinder your access to those roles. So we have all of this already. This is a system that we have. And we're quite um, open about it. If you want to look on the website, um, it's P15129 and P15130. You can actually look. There's videos that explain how the system works. So you're welcome. To, if you're really interested, you can go and see um, the tools that we have to, to watch on everyone. Um, but we do it for... Uh, it does sound <laughs> very North Korea, but we do, we do it because it's a lot of people and we were generally interested in, in raising the bar and having a high standard. Um, Eduardo was asking what AR2IC will be replaced with. I don't know the answer to that, but I think Zero answered it in the chat, which is automatic rifle will just stay as it is. The 2IC level comes off, and the 2IC won't be a role. It will be a bit like buddy teams. So the fire team leader would designate it at the start of the op. Uh, what we're working on at the moment is a policy. Um, we don't just want fire teams to just pick their best mates all the time. We, we have to have a, a policy that states this is ideally the process to picking a 2IC. It's the most experienced person, or it's not, it's not the medic or whatever. So once we've worked that out, you'll see an update on that. Uh, Beardly asking if we should just pick leaders out of a hat. I think that was a joke. If not, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but if you want me to address it, I'll, I'll certainly address why I don't think that's a good idea. But um, I think we've exhausted. Have we exhausted our questions list? Oh, it was a joke. So. Okay, perfect.
Yeah, I think so. Unless anyone has anything they want to ask uh, last minute, we've probably got about 10 minutes we can carry on till. So if anyone has any pressing questions, now's a good time. It's a shame nobody's joined us on the, like, come up to the... Yeah, I know. I think everyone's too scared to, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, you know, next time or the time after. So if you feel like, um, well, obviously we've covered a bit of an update on what's coming in the SIR app. We've covered... Uh, for those that have joined later on, we, we were talking about how Unitaf, how how we made Unit, like how Unitaf came about, um, and we posted some some links to that. And then we mostly spent a lot of time talking about leadership and how we pick leaders and and what our standards are for leaders. Feel free to ask um, any questions that you've still got, if you do have any, or either related to what we've talked about or not. Put your hand up if you want to come and chat. Uh, like Zero says, we'll stick around. Uh, for a few minutes and um, answer any that do come up. I feel like we should, should we pick on someone? Can we try and no, drag someone onto the show? <laughs> okay. What's coming in the next podcast? That is a very good question. I haven't uh, thought that that far ahead usually i have something for the for the next one but because the format for this one is so different and we we didn't really know uh how it was going to turn out um i guess you'll just have to wait and see i think probably what we'll do is is put out a ping uh ahead of the next because i think this has gone gone pretty well so i think that ahead of the next um uh tapcast in in this com stage we'll um we'll put out a ping that will let you guys know what the topics are we're going to be discussing um that give you both an idea of whether you're interested in those topics or not, and also give you a chance to maybe you know put together some questions, uh, perhaps ahead of time, and, and uh, get them in the chat as early as possible. Definitely. Uh, Billy says he came to learn more about the unit. Hopefully, he did. Yeah, so I said we, we obviously. <laughs> Usually, when we record this, we do it. Usually, well, we always do it in one take. But obviously, it's just the two or the three of us plus a guest. And it's been interesting to have the chat as much of a distraction. It has has been throughout. It's interesting to steer the conversation towards what people want to know, because it's obviously very one one dimensional, isn't it? When we usually record it. Um, so I think it's definitely been been useful. Yeah, absolutely. So I think unless a question comes through in the next 10 seconds um i think we can probably probably wrap it up here um okay here we go there we go that's a good one realism where it matters do you, do you want to take that one james yeah this is a great question um one of the f funny stories about realism where it matters is i think when we i don't know jasmine if you were listening to the earlier podcast when we were talking about how we made you and stuff I think that saying just came about like you know one of those things where we were all sat around and we were just trying to think of a funny strap line or not a funny strap line but we were trying to uh, just come up with something and so it came from a strange place and and one of the my frustrations with the tagline realism where it matters is when I hear people use it um, it's it's like it you can use it in any context right so you could just you could flip your MRAP and it could go like 500 kilometers in the air and you could just say realism it 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 can be applied anywhere and because it has no tangible meaning right 
people will use it for, for any which purpose. Um, the way I explain it in the induction is that, and, and maybe it does does need more explanation in terms of the site and what it means for us, but the way we explain it on the site is that we do things ideally the way it's done in real life if it makes sense to do it that way if it works within the game environment and if it has a, a tangible benefit for us so for example take the rank system we have one because they have one in real life but we don't use it the way it's used in real life um we have um like we have these tiers but the tiers um they're not something that happens in real life they've been completely made up by us um and so the way I look at it, at least when I think of realism, where I'm at, is I look at things and go, right, whenever I'm making SOP or whether we're deciding how UNITAF should do something, we always start with real life, with the, with the real military and a lot of what UNITAF's done is based off US SOP. And then we, we go, right, but there is a lot of groups that blindly follow that, you know, and so everyone has to call me sir and they've got to call zero top or whatever it is. And we go, but, yeah, but does it matter in outside of the game environment? And there's no right or wrong answer to that. It's it's usually just the sum of our opinion. Um, so the simple answer is I don't know. There's no definitive answer to it, but it's just our approach to how we make decisions, which is we start with real life and we work back from there. Like I say, I don't know if I answered the question, but you're welcome to join join the voice if you want to clarify it. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to catch up. Skelly, join the military if you want 100% realism. Yeah, realism really matters. I mean, that's another good thing. Like, I saw an AAR for an op earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, where somebody said there was so much waiting around it almost felt like it was in the, was in the military. Which is obviously constructive feedback, and they maybe didn't enjoy that mission that much. But again, that's maybe where you would apply with it where it matters, which is, you know, we try and minimise that and we we do understand that we're in the entertainment business. Um, you know, when, one of the biggest things I like to think is in UNITAF, we simulate the military, but we don't think we're, we don't pretend we're in it. And there's a very fine line, which you can look at other groups and they do a bit of both. Uh Big Red, I'm assuming you're joking with that question. You know I can't answer questions with less than five words anyway. Beardly, call signs. I find it quite confusing when call signs are constantly changing. Why do we not have call signs that are permanent? Um, I think, A, because a lot of the campaigns take place in different times, you know, chronologically, take, take, take place in different periods of history. Uh, different military forces it just make, it makes sense to, to to switch them up but also you know just to keep you on your toes keep you keep you <laughs> keep your comms uh on, on format um but i mean i don't think there's a necessarily a, a specific reason why we do do or don't do that but it does make sense like if you're playing you know in the 1980s or in the second world war and then you're playing in modern warfare that you would have different call signs it, it just makes sense if you're interested in how they decided it is um, to, to get back to Beardley's uh, other comment, it's basically they're picked out of a hat. Um, we, we try and theme call signs to an op, so we we have a couple of different themes, like, and we generally add to that list. Like, uh, I think Matt came up with the chess set, uh, the chess set theme. So we've got the 
like the different chess pieces and stuff. Um, so you know, like mortar will usually be hammer time. But there's, the the field leaders have free choice; they can assign any call sign. We can go as boring as Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta, or we can can add, add them. There is an approved list, so you, so if you're interested, you can only select from an approved list of call signs, and we add to that occasionally if people make suggestions. But what we try and do is have sets of call signs rather than just an individual call sign. Um, it's just a bit; it makes it a bit different. Um, but if you've ever listened to like PlatoonNet and SquadNet. We don't usually use call like call signs are used um, in, on the higher nets. Usually, like we'll refer to outlaw or this is warlock and so on. But unless the net has um, different call signs on it, they're using the numeration. So one zero one 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 two actual. Anyway, they're not actually using the call signs. So, um, but it is nice to have some slightly different call signs and not use the same ones all the time. Absolutely. Cool. I think we'll we'll wrap it up there before we go on forever and ever um yeah i'd just like to thank everybody who um stayed with us from the beginning to the end or if you joined halfway through so it's great had a, a pretty good uh turnout for for this new new format it'll probably change slightly um next time uh just as we get used to to you know doing it live and, and having um you know this system the way that the, the com stage works but um yeah, I think it's I think it's been good. If you do have any feedback for us um, in any way, shape, or form, feel free to. I don't know. Should we? Are we going to keep this this channel open? The uh, Comstage chat. Maybe people can put it in there. Or if you want to, you know, send me a direct message. Yeah, I think let's let's leave it open. We may purge it, but I think what I'd say is like, feel free to just keep chatting in there if you think of anything about the podcast or what you want to hear next or what you found useful things you didn't like obviously we were we actually joke jokingly said we were going to do like half an hour because we thought we'd test it but obviously we're happy to to, to go on as long as we had because uh, of all the questions and things but we'll, we'll leave it open i think what we might do is move it to a different section on discord um to have its own area maybe like the auditorium or something because i know people want to use it for like theory ftxs and stuff so yeah keep using the chat please put feedback in it and stuff and we'll we'll catch up on it later cool awesome all right i don't know if how this works now is there a way of closing it or do we do you and i just leave and then people can sit around in there if they want to i think we can leave because this is a voice channel so we can just leave and next time we'll have to bring some music and some sound effects and stuff so that we can play play you out yeah yeah and it'd definitely be good to have some some moderators as well i think sort of gather questions and uh uh, that sort of stuff but i think definitely next time we'll, we'll try and have a format where we can because uh, we don't have to have a permanent guest we can have people join and then just sort of step up step out of the, of the voice chat so we'll try maybe try and come back with a format where we can do that a bit more yep absolutely. well thanks zero yep no worries thank you and thank you for everybody uh, for listening and um not that you'll want to listen to it again, I guess, but uh, we will be uh, posting this online in the usual place that we post the podcast.